to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Welcome to the Robot Rules Podcast from the American Bar Association. I'm Ted Claypool, partner at Wombleban Dickinson and editor of the book, The Law of Artificial Intelligence and Smart Machines. In this podcast series, we'll be interviewing authors from that book, people who wrote various interesting chapters from the book. Um, today, we are incredibly lucky to be talking to Roland Trope um, from the law firm of Trope and Schramm, uh, along with um, along with Charlie Palmer, Charles Palmer, who is a uh, uh, an IBM Watson guy. Uh, Roland wrote um, a terrific um, chapter in the uh, in the book. Uh, about AI-controlled vehicles. Um, oh, one thing I forgot to mention about uh, Roland is he is, among other many other things, a professor at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. Um, Roland, welcome aboard. Thank you, Ted. Since you mentioned West Point, can I just give my required disclaimer? That Absolutely. The views, going to ex- the views I'll express are my own and do not reflect and have not been approved by and shouldn't be attributed to uh, the U.S. Military Academy, Department of the Army, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Okay. Very, very got good. Got that out of the way. Well, given that, uh, without worrying about what the Army would think about it, what do you, uh, how do you classify and what do you, uh, how do you define artificial intelligence? Uh, I take a rather simple approach. Uh, I look at AI as the use of digital technology to create systems that are capable of performing tasks that we commonly think require intelligence. Now, in saying that, that doesn't mean that they perform them the same way that humans do uh, or that they perform them in the way that any other animal with intelligence would do. Um, And equally important that there is, in fact, any intelligence at all. Intelligence usually requires, for example, the ability to identify and recall salient features, to categorize things, contextualize them, and apply common sense. Uh, AI seldom at this stage, although it's developing rapidly, does not have those capabilities. On the other hand, um, AI can also be looked at as basically... Uh, incorporating a critical component of what we regard as intelligence, namely prediction. And what AI is extraordinarily good at is taking large data sets, extrapolating from them, uh, and making forecasts or predictions. And if you look at AI machines as prediction machines, which is actually the title of a a very fine book on the subject, Um, I think it's a lot easier to understand what AI really is, and most importantly, to understand what it isn't, what its uh, shortcomings are, and what its vulnerabilities are uh, to people who might want to make malicious use of it or break into it uh, as hackers do. Right, well, but let's, let's explore that a second. Why would you want a prediction machine driving your car or your 18-wheeler or your airplane? Well, 
um, when you say, why would you want it driving your car? If you give AI very narrowly circumscribed tasks, it can often do them better than humans can. Um, and if you geofence or limit your uh, vehicle to a, an area that has been uh, mapped out in great detail, and I don't mean a map like you get from the auto club or the gas station, but a map with features down to the centimeter, uh, and those features are not changing, then AI can handle them uh, better than humans often can. Um, I rode home the other evening in California with my son, who is working at the Stanford University Med School, and it was about 1.30 in the morning, and his car has some uh, automatic uh, or AI-controlled features, and he took his hands off the wheel, and he says, look, watch how it handles the curve, and it could. Um, and if he had been tired, it would have handled that curve even if he had not been alert enough to handle it. On the other hand, if we had gone into a steep curve or worse, a T-junction, AI would have driven the car straight ahead into an obstacle until it saw, you know, until it perceived that there was such an obstacle and then it would have kicked out and tried to stop the car and default that way. So is that why the... Uh is that why the uh, vehicles we've heard about that have run into problems ha have often had issues with weather? Yes, because remember, AI is forecasting based on the data that it's given. So if AI has been given the data that tells it the, for the next two miles in this stretch, um, the following um, features are on the road, and in fact, they, workmen have started to do road work there, or a dense fog suddenly creeps over the highway. Um, AI may not, in fact, uh, be able to utilize the sen onboard sensors and know where it is. Or differently, if it's pulling that data from GPS uh, signals, if it gets into an area like a, a, an urban environment where the skyscrapers block the signal, or again, go, to go back to your fog, uh, if cloud or a severe storm is interfering with that signal, AI may not be able to perform and locate. And in fact, it now, instead of being never lost, may be basically a get lost system. And then the question is, will it default and halt? Or, and, and will it tell the driver, by the way, I can't tell where I am, I'm stopping. Right, that's what I was gonna ask you. I mean. What happens when an AI vehicle gets lost? That depends on how it's been designed. What we do know is that it won't resemble, you know, most men when they're lost, they'll refuse <laughs> to ask directions. But right, and wandering not, aimlessly. Right. Uh, as their, their, their uh, female companions are saying, why don't you just ask for directions? <laughs> um, so th there are those limitations. Um, but there's also other features. If you think about what AI can't do, it can't recognize and utilize context. It can't recognize and assess relevance unless it's been programmed for specific relevance. It doesn't know when and how to apply intuition. Um, and equally important, it doesn't have the capacity to fail gracefully and to do so in ways that other human beings would regard as intelligent. For example, if you have an AI-controlled vehicle on the highway, if it's failing, it's going to fail badly 
Um, whereas a human, you can generally, as you, as you know, when you've seen a drunk driver on the highway, you can see them failing and you can recognize it. What many of us are worried about is AI-controlled vehicles start appearing incrementally on the highways. Are we going to know when that vehicle uh, is AI-controlled? Well, maybe there's a way of putting some device on it. But are we going to know when it's failing and how to respond unless we've had enough roadsmanship, as in airmanship, enough roadsmanship to recognize how to deal with it. You know how you avoid a drunk driver, but how do you avoid a human who's texting while driving, very difficult, and an AI-controlled vehicle even more so? Well, but it seems to me like that one of the risks is it would just stop. If it's been designed to just stop. As my son explained with his vehicle, if, if there's a T-junction right now, that vehicle will keep going until it perceives an obstacle. What if there's no obstacle and you just go off a cliff at that point? That's not a very comforting alternative. No. And obviously no, no. the car designers so, are having to think about that. So, so this, this means that you have um, a little bit of uh, incredulity about General Motors zero crashes goal well now you've raised a different question you're asking what is ai justified to do and can it we actually reach that you know it's one thing for the poets to say ah but a man's reach should exceed his grasp or what's a heaven for but when we're talking about zero accidents i think it's unrealistic and it's unrealistic for the following reason first ai is going to be developed at least for the next couple of decades by humans writing the algorithms and writing the software. Those are going to be error prone as all software is. And as you know, Ted, a, a, currently a smart car has far more software code or lines of code in it than an F-22 fighter or a, a Boeing Dreamliner. And, and the margin... Why is, is that, Roland? Because the... Cars are multiple computers on wheels, and they need to be able to do more things to manage a roadway safely than an aircraft does. And remember also, even autopilot, autopilot in, in the skies, you're not having to make you know, turns to avoid obstacles and handle curves. You're able to fly for thousands of miles in a straight line if you don't have turbulence, and if there aren't other aircraft that have been allowed to stray into your particular flight path. Uh, cars are not that way. Cars are on highways with, you know, thousands of other vehicles that they're going to encounter over a small period of time, say an hour. Um, and who knows whether a deer is going to suddenly bolt out into the highway, whether the, there's going to be a car parked uh, in a lane because the engine died. Um, and how is the car going to deal with a blowout of a tire? Nobody's even, I've ever, I haven't seen any writings on how an AI-controlled vehicle will deal with a high-speed blowout. And that takes me to the most crucial factor. You know, years ago, there was a Scientific American article that was published uh, around the advent of the, um, you know, motor vehicle saying that it was going to be fantastic. It would... Um, basically, uh, if, there are, if there are faults with automobiles, only time is wanted to make them disappear. 
There is no mechanism more inoffensive, no means of transport more safe and sure, because they were comparing it to the accidents that you had with horses and horse-drawn buggies. But that forecast that was made in 1900, when you looked at it again in 1997, as a Scientific American staff writer did, he noted that such blind faith might seem quite even ironic. Car crashes cause some 3 million injuries annually, hardly inoffensive, sure, and safe. Now, what will keep AI from being safe? Well, we already mentioned one thing, which is the possibility of error in the code and algorithms. Second, since it's a forecast mechanism, the quality of the data, not just the quantity, but the quality of that data will determine whether or not the AI can avoid accidents. Third, if somebody hacks into it, and we know that cars can be remotely hacked into it, they may create faulty data for the sensors themselves. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, assume all of those other problems could be handled. Are humans going to want to drive at a slow speed? That has not been the history of human use of motor vehicles throughout the 20th and early 21st century. The well, do you think, well, let me, let me back up causes. on that. Roland, do you think that, that uh, Ford or GM or, or Mercedes will allow you to, um, to program your AI to break the law? Or will they make it so that it simply won't be allowed? Well, let's assume that they program it so you can't break the law. Let's assume it's, it's like a cruise control that has a particular speed set for it. Right. For highway driving, most uh, Americans anyway, and I think Germans even more so, expect their cars to be able to go at very high speeds. You know, the German Autobahn, you can go at any speed you want if it's hot, fast enough. Uh, right. And you can routinely go at 100 miles an hour. Well, what is the greatest cause of accidents, the severity of the injuries, and the number of fatalities? It's speed. That's why in Sweden, they, they limit uh, inner city driving to 30 miles per hour, and they have found wherever you lower the speed, you reduce the frequency of accidents, you reduce the severity of the accident, you reduce the number of fatalities. I have seen no automobile maker say when they produce their AI vehicle, they're going to limit the vehicle speed to 30 miles per hour. How many Americans would buy such a vehicle to go from San Francisco to Los Angeles? No, they, they wouldn't, but, but Roland, what, what about, I mean, we know that, um, that AI can tap into global positioning systems. So, sure. and as you said, they, they're going to require on, they're going to require incredibly uh, detailed maps down to the centimeter. So wouldn't the car know if it was in a 55 mile an hour zone or a 30 mile an hour zone? Yes. And, and I'm saying behave it, it, accordingly. Yeah, but I was going back to your question. Can we uh, anticipate as a realistic goal, zero accidents? And what I'm saying right, is right. all these cars, if they're doing 30 miles an hour, you'll have far fewer accidents, far fewer fatalities, but that's not what AI-controlled vehicles are going to be designed to do. And smart cars today are allowed to go 65 miles per hour. At that speed, the chances of an accident or of a three AI vehicles handling a confusing um, situation equally well 
is, I think, much smaller than people realize. Again, to go back to California right. Highway, imagine two AI-controlled vehicles are on a highway in California, and your typical California driver pulls up and zips in front of them, as they do in California, without signaling. Are those AI-controlled cars going to be able to handle that? I don't know, but I think it's going to be very challenging, and that's why the early iterations and deployments of total AI-controlled vehicles are in geofenced areas like uh, circular tracks or, or roughly circular within a, an inner city, as in Austin, Texas. Right. Well, how do you how do you program a a vehicle to um, to to essentially build itself around a human behavior model to prepare for the unexpected human behaviors? Well, that's the problem, is that AI has a limitation, which we would call the framing problem. It cannot go outside what it's been programmed to deal with, and it is impossible to program even a, a one-hour drive all of the possible things that could occur in that. Um, the framing problem is something that humans are really good at handling, but machines aren't. Can I give an example of a, of a framing sure. problem to make this sure. more concrete for people? And let's take it out of the vehicle context and make it simpler. Um, let's assume you have two people, a, a, a young man and a young woman. Uh, let's say the woman is capable of picking blackberries at three bushels an hour, and the man is capable of picking blackberries at two bushels an hour. She's a little more agile and nimble than he is. How many bushels would they pick in three hours? Well, if you gave that to an AI machine, it would basically multiply the three hours times their uh, berry picking rates per hour and come out with the answer. The problem is there are going to be situations, many that you can imagine, in which they fail to achieve that number. Let's say, for example, outside that frame, they start talking to each other and they divert each other and that slows them down. The other side of the coin, they might pick faster. Let's say the two of them are getting along, but they start picking competitively and they, in fact, exceed their normal picking rate. Those are the kinds of things, thinking of what those causes would be and anticipating that those could happen are outside the frame of the, the formula I gave you of what rate they could pick at and for how long they could do it. And that's what AI can't do. It cannot think outside the box, so to speak. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. One of the things, and you mentioned it earlier here, but one of the things you talk about in your chapter that I found very interesting is you're discussing alternative models of safety planning. Clearly, speed is an issue. Um, and you, you talk about the Swedish model that is an alternative type of safety planning. Can you describe that a little bit for the, for the people listening? Well, the, the Swedish model basically limits the, the speed that can be, uh, you know, cars can drive at in certain conditions. And what they found is that if you keep it, for example, to 30 miles per hour, um, you, you reduce the accident rate substantially and at that speed if you have to brake by the time you apply the brake you're going to be down to possibly single digits by the time you have an impact whereas right. imagine an impact uh, at high speed on a motorway or the autobahn even if you apply brakes 
um, you are likely to have an impact with another car uh, at 30 or 40 miles per hour. Human beings, even when strapped into safety belts, their bodies don't do well running into that. And if it's a head-on collision and if each car is doing, let's say, 40, that's basically an impact at 80 miles per hour. Um, those cars, even if they're designed to absorb as much impact as possible, will probably not protect the humans inside from severe injuries, if not fatal ones. Right. Well, and, and that makes sense. And what you said earlier is also true, which is going 30 miles an hour, you're never going to get to Malmo. Right. And the Swedish model is, you know, they, they limit in the, the default speed in an urban area is 50 kilometers per hour, which is 31 miles per hour. Um, and if you get hit by a car at 50, the risk for a fatal accident is more than 80%. But the, such a risk drops to less than 10% when you're hit at 30 mile, kilometers per hour. So th there's a real factor there, and we have to realize that, you know, to, to quote that, that movie, uh, humans have a need for speed. And that's what they like about their cars is to be able to go fast someplace. And, and what do people do when they're late? They accelerate. They go faster than the speed limit. They go faster than the weather permits. You, I'm sure you've had the experience of being in some area where it's just starting to rain. You know, as I do, that the road has probably accumulated uh, oil deposits, and the first hour of rain is extraordinarily dangerous. The road is much more slippery than after hours of rain. Uh, are we going to program uh, our AI cars to take that into account? That's outside the frame. Uh, are they going to know when it's raining? Uh, is that going to be programmed into it? If it isn't, that makes them, again, less safe. But look at how humans like to push against that. On the other hand, one of the advantages we would hope that AI brings to cars is removing the amount of distraction from the, the driver. Right now, a lot of the safety features that have been added, like those maps that are on the central dis display of a car, actually cause you to take your eyes off the highway. It's why, again, the car our, our son is now driving, it actually has a heads-up display. It shows him the speed limit on his windscreen, so he doesn't take his eyes off the road in order to know what speed he's going at. That's an incredible safety feature. Um, uh, but well, you know, well, let me throw out another what when people text while driving, Ted. That's oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I I uh, never text while driving, but I can tell well, you that my car already hates the way that I drive. So it uh, it vibrates me, and it uh, and it it gives me lights, and you know. So already we're getting to a place where um, you know the cars are saying this is how you're supposed to be driving, uh, right? But Pretty let, soon let they'll be doing it themselves. Let me, let me ask you, we've been talking, I, we've been talking safety right. for a while. Let me yeah. let me ask you another quick question about uh, from from your chapter, which is uh, about privacy. You know, now with with uh, um, a lot of cars, we're we're seeing that that insurance companies and the auto manufacturers are getting incredible amounts of data, and that's just going to get worse as the cars become AI vehicles. Um, you know, what on earth is our reasonable expectation of privacy in an AI vehicle? 
That's a tough question because, you, you know, as well as I do, that's going to be decided eventually by Supreme Court decisions. But I think what's going to happen, and some of the recent court decisions reflect this, we're going to go from viewing the car as a public place to viewing it as more of a private place because of the kinds of information that we are creating, transmitting, and interacting with in the vehicle. Uh, people can make purchases on Amazon from the you know the interior of their vehicle using their uh, you know display um, everything you can do on a smartphone you can now also do on a car's uh, infotainment system and um, I think that court decisions are increasingly going to view that as highly personal data um, if a couple is having uh, an argument a marital argument let's say. Um, think of the things that they can say in anger that are unkind uh, and extraordinarily private. What if Alexa happens to be listening and recording some of that as it's currently trained to do in order to be responsive to commands? And I'm sure you've had the experience that I have of walking with a phone, smartphone in your pocket and you say something and all of a sudden the, the phone says, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that request. Well, I hadn't made a request, but it had picked up something in my speech that triggers the, um, the, the, the continuous brief recording to treat that as a command. So I think the, the more we make sensitive data uh, in large quantities available inside the cars, I think the more courts are going to start leaning away from uh, treating cars as public places and treating them instead as private ones. Wow, that's a that's a great point. Um, but let me we're we're getting closer to the end of our podcast. I want to make sure we hit something here. In the end of your chapter, you and Charlie go very deep into uh, um, something that was happening at the time you were writing, which was uh, the crashing slash accidents with the Boeing seven thirty seven Max eight um, airlines or airplanes. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and how that reflects on autonomous uh, vehicles? Yes, and, and let, me, let me give the, the end point at the beginning. Um, this airplane eventually crashed because an onboard sensor was feeding a system erroneous data. Now, erroneous data can come because a system sensor has malfunctioned, but it can also come because uh, hackers gained unauthorized access into the design data of a system and caused it under certain circumstances to generate bad data. Or they can hack remotely into it. For example, as an airplane is taxing, what if they could hack in at that point where the remote is merely a matter of a few hundred yards, not a matter of you know, thousands of feet of altitude and miles away in airspace. Um, and they, again, introduce faulty data and cause the systems to generate that data under certain flight conditions, a certain altitude, a certain airspeed. What was happening with uh, the Boeing, Boeing had uh, developed this new aircraft to compete with uh, Airbus. And um, what they did is they changed the design of their earlier aircraft, which had two onboard sensors to detect when the plane's nose was uh, tilted up at too sharp an angle 
and could cause a stall and therefore a crash. So Boeing built what's called a Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System, or MCAS, installed it, but instead of allowing two different sensors to provide information about the angle of attack, they limited it to one. And both in, in Indonesia, in an air crash that occurred in the Java Sea and in Ethiopia, um, you had airplanes that shortly after takeoff were performing in response to the data they were getting that was faulty, where it said that the plane's nose was at too steep an angle, and that caused this MCAS system to force the nose of the plane down. And the pilots were trying to pull back on the stick, and each time they did so, the plane was giving a misreading as to how steep the angle was, and so the MCAS system tried to overpower the pilots, which it eventually it, it could do because it had greater force with the tail. Um, and this would happen sometimes 15 or 20 times in a matter of minutes, and they eventually overwhelmed the pilots. Unfortunately, the pilots didn't have enough airmanship to know that they needed to disengage these systems, and Boeing apparently had not informed the pilots that this system was even on board their aircraft, uh, especially the ones sold to, those, uh, to the airlines involved. So the lesson here is that the same mistakes that can occur as a result of bad engineering can occur with maliciously introduced data. And as I said earlier, since these are forecast systems, faulty data leads to faulty performance or faulty designs. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. Well, we, we had talked about earlier, I want to hit one more thing before we, we roll out, and that is um, the data sensor question. I mean, you, you've talked about um, being able to hack into sensors, and, and obviously the quality of the data you're getting from the sensors is going to determine the quality of the behavior uh, dictated by the uh, artificial intelligence. Um, yes. You know, are there, are there uh, you know, is, is this something that the industry is working on, uh, understanding that, you know, that, that sensors can be, uh, can, can be fooled and sensors can have serious problems that are gonna, going to cause uh, crashes or disasters? Well, I, I, I think the industry is trying to, but, you know, there's few companies that make aircraft that I respect more than Boeing. And yet, look at how terribly wrong their design process appears to have gone. I say appears because we're still waiting for final answers on this. But this is not, you're never supposed to have a single point of failure in a complex system, and Boeing allowed that to happen here. I don't know the extent to which the automakers are aware of where they could be creating problems in the data generation and inputs. I'm sure they're not interested in trying to create autonomous vehicles that crash because if that happens too often, too early, the public will not buy them. And it, it, it could either create a prolonged delay or just a refusal to adopt them. Early adopters do not want to take risks or especially have their children take risks. And, and you know, you and I both have children when we... Uh, either helped our children buy cars or bought cars for them, was there anything more important than whether it was going to be safe for them to drive? Nope. And that's why I went with a Sherman tank. I thought it was the easiest. 
Yeah, um, well, weigh that against, you know, the human desire to, to drive fast. And let me give one, one quick example, again, to, to help people who've never sat in an autonomous vehicle. Um, I, when I do lectures on AI up at West Point, I'll ask cadets, how many of you have driven an autonomous vehicle? And nobody puts their hand up. And I say, well, actually, I think you all have. Uh, how many of you have driven in a vehicle in which either you or someone else have been texting while driving? And if, it's, if you're the ones to do it, let, let, let's limit the question to anybody else so it's not an honor code question. And everybody's hand goes up. I said, well, now, uh, imagine that how long does it take to, to read an incoming text? And the cadets said, yeah, you have usually five seconds. How long does it take to generate a quick reply? Five seconds. Okay, at 65 miles per hour, if you're on the, uh, you know, New Jersey Turnpike, how long does, you know, how far do you travel in 10 seconds driving at 65 or 70? Let's say 70 to round it off. Uh, some try to guess, and I tell them, do the math. They do the math, and it comes back over three football fields in length. So that's the distance that they have driven in an autonomous vehicle without any of the safety features available because the driver isn't looking. Yep. Yep, that's the is. kind of world we have to expect, and that's where we will be if the sensors or the AI fails and it doesn't have a fail-safe mechanism because, again, current vehicles, if, if, if they're asked, for example, to perform a turn which they're not capable of doing, they may sound an alarm and, and uh, for the human driver to put their hands back on the wheel, but that assumes that the human driver isn't taking a nap or ha is, doesn't have a drink in one hand and a sandwich in the other. Right, absolutely. And then there's a lot of known uh, unknowns and unknown unknowns that we, we're going to yes. be f fighting through. Well, let me, let me ask you the, uh, uh, the, the exit question that uh, we're asking everybody in this series, and that is, what's your favorite depiction of AI, of artificial intelligence, in literature or other media? Well, uh, I probably would have said if somebody were to make a new m movie version of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it would be rife with uh, AI um, examples. But for me, I, I would go back to the uh, example that we used as the uh, subtitle for our chapter. Our chapter is AI-controlled vehicles, but the subtitle is How Will We Frame Thy Fearful Symmetry? which comes from the William Blake poem, uh, The Tiger. And I'm just going to read a, a brief part of it, but imagine instead of a tiger, the tiger is actually a, an, an allegorical figure for an uh, AI or smart machine. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night, what immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? In what distant deeps or skies burnt the fire of thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire? What the hand dare seize the fire? What the hammer, what the chain, in what furnace was thy brain? What the anvil, what dread grasp, dare its deadly terrors clasp? Tiger, tiger, burning bright, in the forests of the night, what immortal hand or eye dare frame thy fearful symmetry? I think you can read through that, and in one of the stanzas I left out, and did he smile his work to see? Did he who made the lamb make thee? 
you can read that poem as a, an allegorical representation of AI in addition to just a poem about a pure spirit of being. No question. No question. Well, thank you very much. We, we really appreciate it. It's been both fun and informative. Um, this has been uh, Roland Trope, and uh, he uh, and, and Charlie Palmer have created the longest chapter in the uh, in, in the book that we're discussing here, The Law of Artificial Intelligence and Smart Machines. Um, but it, it, there are many excellent chapters, and, uh, and we'll be talking about another one next week. So thank you very much, Roland. We appreciate your help. Thanks, Ted. I enjoyed the conversation. We did, too. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Section's podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic, or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.